Ladies and gentlemen, it's 2002 and absolutely nothing of any world-changing historical nature has happened since 1999 in the last Bond film. At least that's all James Bond knows because he's been tortured in North Korea. That's right, it's time to talk about the Bond film to end all Bond films. Well, at least it did for Pierce Brosnan. Die another day! And with me, as always, to discuss this controversial entrance into the James Bond canon, a man who is, no doubt, Madonna's most beloved fencing protege, it's Stuart Light. <laughs> hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Oh, yes. I always love it when the person who sings the theme tune has a weird cameo in the movie. Has that been done before, though? Ah, uh, maybe. Bond sure. Films. I don't think it has. In, in, in Bond films, I don't think so. I think no. this is this is definitely the first time I can think of. I feel like she probably had it written into her contract to, to have that done. But we will get on to Madonna. Oh, we'll get on to Madonna. I will not hear a word against Madonna. I'm just putting that out there now. Oh, we Natalie, have... we might come to blows on this one then. <laughs> Uh-oh. I feel very intimidated because it's not just you, Stu, who we're talking about this movie with. Oh, no, we have a returning guest to the Raven Bond podcast. I probably should have said that that's what this podcast was in my intro, but yes, it is the Raven Bond podcast. <laughs> we have been going through re-watching all the Bond films in order and giving our thoughts in subsequent podcast recordings, and we would very much like to welcome back a man who no doubt loves to strip down to his white singlet and tight white pants and fence someone uh, brutally for blood. It is Nick Wiggins. <laughs> Yay. Hello, guys. I uh, have uh, donned my virtual reality sunglasses and I'm <laughs> having a little bit of special time on my own. <laughs> just, okay. just me and, and you guys. <laughs> I have questions about the virtual reality sunglasses and we will get to that. There's so many questions about this film, but I must admit I was very worried coming into tonight's podcast because I feel, I just get the sense, I don't know what it is about it, but I get the mm. sense that it might be a bit of a 2-1 pile up against me on this one. Because, oh, okay. well, oh. the thing is, this is not a great film. It's not a great film. It is. We agree on that. Yeah. At, yeah. at many points watching it, I was doing the whole sort of the hissing, you know, where you sort of pull your lips back over your teeth and go, ooh, <laughs> like without knowing I was doing that, I was having a little bit of a, oh, that's rough. Oh, that's rough. There were a few moments, uh, which we'll get to, <laughs> the CGI. But, um <laughs> There are still parts of this film that I really enjoy and I feel so bad for Pierce that this was the one that he went out on or it's the one that killed him as Bond. It could go either way. And I think that the first half of this film does some really interesting things, particularly the opening sequence in North Korea. So I'm really interested to chat about that. But I guess uh, throw it open to you, Stu, first. General thoughts and then we'll get Nick's general thoughts and then we'll proceed apace. Uh, this movie is a giant pile of crap, Natalie. I, can't, I really can't put it more plainly than that. Uh, this movie sucks. This is very, very. This is a very, very bad movie. Let, let alone a Bond movie, but this is a ter- just a terrible movie. Aww. Up and down. You're you're absolutely right that the, it starts really, really promisingly in a in a really interesting way, in a way that we haven't seen from the franchise before. The franchise is trying something different, and then it immediately abandons that. For a very standard, very tired, cliched, in quotes, Bond movie. It just completely jettisons this really cool idea that it had at the start and just decides, and now we're going to play all the hits. And except it's like a weird version of itself. It's very strange. And that's something probably to say up front, too, before we get to Nick, is that this is the 20th 
Bond film. Sure. And it was released on the 40th anniversary of the film franchise, so 62 to 2002. So it was a big deal, and a lot was made of the fact in the pre-publicity for the film that it was going to be paying tribute to all the films that had come before. And I actually thought as we go through this podcast tonight, we should probably try to note down all the references to previous films. And see if we can see if we can get the 19 uh, references. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, but that's right. Yeah, some of them are a bit more obscure than others, but uh, they they are woven through the film. So yeah, th- there was a big deal about this movie having to be a post 9/11 Bond and to be a 20th anniversary Bond and to be the first Bond of the 21st century. So there was kind of a lot going on, I think. So. Yeah, and it Nick- definitely collapsed under the weight of those expectations. <laughs> I will say that this film at the time was the highest grossing Bond film ever. It made something like 420 million, uh, sorry, 431.9 million uh, worldwide right. box office. So that Don't is. Don't they all do that though? Like now, isn't it that every time Ooh. a Bond film comes out, it's the most profitable Bond film? We'll get to to the Daniel Craig era, but I feel like maybe Quantum of Solace didn't do as well as Casino Royale. But I could be yeah, that's true. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, that, that one fell short. That's kind of, it's kind of the black sheep. But I think I think most of the other, like certainly Casino Royale and then Skyfall, the it, most profitable yeah. Bond film ever. It tends mm. to be an upwards kind of the 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 the, the graph is that the X Y axis tends to over time go up. But um, <laughs> still, that's a big jump up on 350 million from GoldenEye, which was only seven years earlier. So that's true. Jeez, how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> so Nick, what are your thoughts as we get started? Look, this was just to set it up. This was the first Bond movie that I saw in cinemas. The expectations were high. And I, I actually remember the day I went to see this and how I went to see it. It was 2002. I had spent the morning at my best friend's place playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, as we <laughs> did. And then that afternoon, together, we experienced this amazing piece of art that has, you know, sticks with me to this day that, like, had some classic elements but some new elements that, you know, is something I returned to years and years and years after that moment, and that was Queens of the Stone Age's Songs for the Deaf. (laughs) And in the middle of that day, we went and saw this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a really big day, really foundational day for me. Yeah, like after years of watching Bond films and like a whole, feels like, like a whole summer playing the World is Not Enough video game, the PlayStation 1. I, uh, yeah, I went and saw this, and I think I didn't like it even then. <laughs> like, I think I enjoyed <laughs> seeing it as a spectacle, but I remember leaving laughing about the windsurfing. Mm. That, yes. I don't think, held up even at the time. Yeah. So it's I've... a bit rough. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. I, I wonder if, like, this film is actually just almost a, a, a victim of the time it came out, because 2002 was not great for like big budget action movies there weren't yeah. like a lot of classics coming out around this time it's a weird time for cgi and movies they haven't quite nailed it down yet all of the movies that were coming out at that time seemed to have really serious script problems it's just a very weird time for action movies in general and so i wonder if that played into and the movies that were doing well kind of nailed it like that year is spider-man mm. 
and sure like, yeah exactly we're, we're in the middle of lord of the rings you know so those movies are, are exactly, just yeah. working and with you the know tech what? I... properly but exactly but then you've also got it sandwiched in the middle of a kind of changing landscape in spy movies like this is the year of born identity it's mm. the year of triple x which is trying to do the bond thing but what if just all flash <laughs> and no substance? we've talked about triple x before yes yeah well this is lee tamahori who directed this new zealand director went on to direct i think that triple uh, x film sequel that you told me about some podcasts ago Stu, the uh, state of the union <laughs> so he state came of straight union. off he came straight off Goldeneye and went into Triple X. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember reading, talking about, because we're now at a, at a point where my memory is is fairly decent when it comes to these films and how and where I saw them. I cannot remember. I assume I just went to the cinema to see this one. It probably came out on late in the year. As you say, Nick, it would, would have been summertime in Australia. I remember being apprehensive because I had read an article about pre-production on the film where they interviewed Lee Tamahori and he was, it was very much talking about from his perspective and what he thought, you know, Bond was. And two things stuck with me from that. One was his theory that Bond is just a number. The man is different. That's his. Oh, yeah, he, he believes in the code name theory, yeah. Yes, yes. So he believes in that. And he also believed that it was time for James Bond to move into the 21st century and use CGI. And it had been sort of a, a fairly well-known fact about the Bond movies as they tried to do as much as possible with special effects, with, with live special effects, I guess you would say, in camera special effects as opposed to computer generated. So it was a big thing to go, yes, this is a Bond movie that's going to have CGI because the whole idea of Bond is that what he does is supposed to be possible. And I'm just not sure that windsurfing down a mega wave in Iceland surrounded by <laughs> chunks of glacier yeah. is something that even James Bond could do, particularly not the ropey way it looks in the movie. The, the thing that looks, the thing that works against that one is that these days you just CGI the whole thing, but yeah. the wave is CGI, the glaciers are CGI, but it's a person actually yeah. green screen. Pierce Brosnan's dangling from a rope on stage. It's, yeah. It, it's the early 2000s version of back in the day when you used to see, is it, is it the rotoscoping when you'd have Sean Connery in a car, but the footage was obviously shot somewhere else yeah. and like rear projection back. or whatever, yeah. Project, yeah, so it's, it's, mm. it's basically. Basically, the 40-year-later version of that, people now would look back and go, oh, gosh, that looks so obvious, doesn't it? Yeah, but but the really interesting thing is that they've actually gone back to that method now. The TV series uh, The Mandalorian, uh, the Star Wars series on, on Disney+, Plus, uses almost exclusively completely fake backgrounds. Like, like if you're mm. watching that show, you are almost exclusively watching a giant, like, LED screen behind the actors. It's crazy. Is it? So they're putting an actual screen there or they're just putting it in? Yeah, so so it's like a, it's almost a 360-degree screen that, like, extends up and over them. So it's like a massive sort of stage thing and there's just screens everywhere and it projects the background of wherever they are onto basically uh-huh. just this soundstage. It's incredible wow. technology. It's like the 21st wow. century version of those old Sean Connery's where he's in the car driving. Yeah. It's amazing. Right, so we've come full circle. We've gone right, right, right back to these old <laughs> techniques, but with the new technology. It's amazing. I think just my major problem with this, and look, I took some notes uh, <laughs> re-watching this. You'll be surprised to know. There's just a little too much, right? Yeah. So I tried to write, I tried to work out just the basic 
villain plot here. <laughs> and essentially we have a bioengineered weapon smuggler and conflict diamond launderer who has a mole in the yes. British Secret Service, thanks to his murdering of a Sydney Olympics fencing gold medalist, <laughs> has charmed his way into the British elite, crafted an electro-mech suit, and it's using the power <laughs> of the sun or as I like to call it, General Moon's son, Colonel Moon's son, Ray, to clear the minds from the Korean demilitarized zone in a bid to impress his father who thinks he's dead. That's kind of it, right? It's so convoluted. I mean, that's, all of that and, is true. And the other thing that um, I did want to point out, and this, this isn't on my list because I was, I was a bit similar. I tried to take a few notes of things that I really wanted to talk about and then did my one-minute challenge with Stu just moments before we started recording. But on my list of things I really wanted to talk about was the timeline because Bond is supposed to have been captured for 14 yes. months. Yes. Uh, now, he... God, I didn't even think about that. The only way I can figure it is that he was already doing some of this stuff already. Yes. And he was Korean. Yes. <laughs> Which, look, I just want to say here, oh, I, I feel like we are not apart. the people... We are, we are not the people to address this, but, my God, you could probably write an essay about the complicated racial dynamics <laughs> of <laughs> Korean man becomes white. Um, I, I definitely yeah. so, had mentioned that in my minute challenge. Yes. Move it, yeah, that aside, I, I think it only works if he was doing some of this stuff before. Like some of the stuff was he was like he was built. He was trying to build the 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 Icarus already. Then this happens and it makes him change his game and he goes really public with it. Plus he doesn't doesn't sleep any like, sleep like, anymore, so he gets to do gets more time of the day. <laughs> Ah, it all falls apart. I can't believe I never even realised that. It, it, this movie crumbles into a heap when you point that out. Yeah. He has 14 uh, months he, to do all of this. They cover their ass though. They they have the, well, they try to. The Cuban guy actually says like, oh, yes, his his diamond, this, you know, Gustav Graves, his diamond find in Iceland, that was oh, about a year ago, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. And yet when we then see Graves, it's him on the way to Buckingham Palace to be knighted. Yes. As if yes. someone who just pops up one year earlier, even if they donate a bunch of money to charity, gets a knighthood in one year. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. You don't get knighted that quickly. And particularly when, and this is the other thing, which I think I've got in my minute challenge, but I'm just going to bring it up now. Did nobody else think to look at the chemical composition of his diamonds? Because <laughs> literally Bond, <laughs> so the, the premise is is that Graves is using African conflict diamonds that he has been trading when he was Korean or is in his Korean self as Colonel Tan Sun Moon. If we want to keep track there, Natalie, I guess, uh, you know, quite prominent use of diamonds is obviously a reference to Diamonds Are Forever and, and uh, in the history of Bond <laughs> and, films. And the giant space satellite. The giant space laser, yes. So the, the premise is that these these diamonds are African conflict diamonds that he pretends to have found in Iceland. I assume because people refer to diamonds as ice sometimes. I don't know. but <laughs> That is almost certainly the reason that the dickhead script writers who wrote this, Purvis and Wade, uh, put that in there, yes. Who wrote Timon and I know. I know. I don't know what happened. And I think and they don't want to write Casino Royale. Yes, they? they write Casino yeah. Royale. That's a how, how did that happen? Everyone has an off year. You know, this is, <laughs> this is 2020 is most of our off years, but yeah. the purpose and way 2002 was their yeah. off year. <laughs> Bond is literally with his contact in Cuba looking at these diamonds under a regular old eyepiece. Yes. 
And he goes, ah, the chemical composition is the same as African diamonds. So nobody else, like jewellery experts, insurance companies, assessors, nobody else pinged and went, actually, Gustav Graves, like nobody chipped off a journo to go, excuse me, Mr. Graves, why do your diamonds all have the same chemical composition as illegally traded African conflict diamonds? Can you please answer this? Like nobody else got involved. (laughs) That whole premise to me is the flimsiest that he makes his fortune so quickly. It's so suspicious, but nobody asks, nobody even puts one of these damn diamonds under a scope and has a look at it. So, but yet a guy in Cuba talking to Bond can be like, oh no, that's definitely uh, shonky. That's shonky ass. (laughs) That was my favorite, what would you call it? Blunder or at least fragile uh, plot hole. A way more fragile ice lake than the one in the film that they race on. Um, Much more easy to fall through that hole. But should we do our minute challenge then and get those out of the way? Let's Did get you it out of the way. start, Stu? Because I suspect I can. I can start. I actually forgot to put down anything about the whole DNA transfer and gene switching. Yeah, weirdly, so did I. It is. <laughs> it exists so that a white actor can be the big Bond villain later on. So that's basically why it's there. So let, let's. I mean, uh, look, what I will say, controversial, I know, but at least it wasn't the other way around. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I wonder if that would have been worse. After you only live twice, at least. (laughs) Well, hey, it would have been a reference. It's just, yeah. (laughs) Did did everybody notice the yellow face? That was our tribute to you only live twice. We we did that deliberately. (laughs) Not just just backed into it. We really in a strange way. Oh, Um, Um, Okay. So I wrote down, this movie feels like it's either the first draft or the 50th draft, uh, which which is to say it's like a bunch of ideas that they've thrown together or it's the terrible Frankenstein monster after five or six or seven different people have taken a run at the script. It just feels such a complete mess. The start of the film, as we've said, is actually really good. It's tense. It's, it's interesting. It's an idea we haven't seen before. You can time it. It's, it's like 25 minutes in. And I, I'm with Nat. I, I think it really works, the start. I don't even mind the surfing... <laughs> <laughs> the, the first surfing, surfing I, felt I don't weird, mind. I was, I was like, okay, I'll it's, go with it. It's it's weird, but you're like, oh, th- that's what they're doing this time, are they? It, but then it, it gets going. I think the first, you know, you get the Korea stuff, you get the song, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, and then you get you get a scene where he he's actually acting, like he gets to really act yeah. in that scene with M, and his Irish accent's coming through a little bit, but he gets Absolutely. to you know just really look wounded and you know I, yeah they you should have left me there and all this kind of stuff and then totally. the moment it turns is when he walks out of the hong kong harbor and into a mastercard commercial <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the reference right it's just like totally it's oh it was uh, it's you know Snooty concierge going, oh, and then the other going, oh, Mr. Bond, what would you like? And, you know, oh, we have the quail, you know. And what I love about that, because I'm, look, I'm quite partial to beardy, hairy Pierce. I'm just going to put it out there. He's rocking the look. It's actually working for me a lot. Kind of wish he hadn't shaved for a bit there. He doesn't look like himself. He really has, it has this very transformative effect on him where he's. It's a very Chris Christopherson uh, sort of esque look. He strides in to this hotel. Obviously, 14 months in captivity has meant that he's forgotten how to do up buttons because he's got buttons on his shirt. But he's just like, <laughs> no, ladies, 
Check out the rug. It's all that happens again. Sorry to jump ahead. That happens again in Havana, where he rocks the very unusual second from the bottom button is the only button done up look. Really? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very deep it's uh, V. Weird. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he'd been working out really hard for this film, so it was like, guys, I just wanted the opportunity to show off the, the pecs. As but it's as like possible. an oversized Hawaiian shirt. It's it's a bold look. <laughs> See that blue one. <laughs> That's very true. And then after after that incredible opening, which is genuinely good, it's compelling, as we said, like Pierce is acting, you know, and then he just, the, the movie just switches off. And then it's just like, okay, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, we've got to have an evil base. We've got to have a Bond villain. We've got to have a couple of sexy ladies, some gadgets, a space laser. Let's let's throw that in there. You know, a bunch of weird okay. shit. And then uh, an invisible car. Well, and then, okay, so that's the next item on my list, invisible <laughs> car. So let's talk about the invisible car. Um, I like too far it. for a Bond movie. I was about to say I kind of like it. It's weirdly ahead of its time. I was reading an article just this week uh, about how uh, the U.S. military is using adaptive camouflage on some of its vehicles. Wow. Right. So are it's a thing. Well, like them, what they're doing. But are they using them to drive precisely twenty meters? Get back the out of this movie. Chooses to use its invisible car. <laughs> is to have him basically do something he could have... In another movie, he would have just snuck across the parking lot. Yeah. And in this movie, he gets in his invisible yeah. car and then just drives it very slowly across to where he needs and, to go. And then parks it there for hours. And, and, and parks, parks it, it and, in front of a place where people are sort of walking, like it's a gate, so people yeah, are walking. Mm-hmm. You would expect someone would, like, walk straight into it. Well, and someone does. Someone drives a fucking snowmobile into it, Natalie. <laughs> and then it fails. Like that's it. That's, later, that's later on. Yeah. But no, the, the, oh, they, he does yes. he does use it a bit during the subsequent chase scene. But yes, its initial foray into spy into invisible car mode is, as you say, a twenty meter shuffle forward. It's such a shame because the idea of an invisible car is not crazy. And I kind of love it. I, I love the idea of Bond having this, like, an invisible spy car, but the movie does nothing with it. And nothing. The effect, it has the this effect incredible idea, and then it just goes, up. Yeah. The effect kind yeah. of holds up, too. Like, because, because they're not having to yeah. composite a person in, you know, a giant wave or whatever, you're just putting a little bit of a distortion on the shape of, a, of where the shape of the car would be. Sure. And just, like, the, yeah. in, the visual information is just still what's there. You're just distorting it. So it means that it actually looks pretty good. They were using prime predator technology for that one. <laughs> <laughs> my thing with the invisible car is the noise of it because it's invisible to see but it's not quiet it's not a prius it's you know it's not an electric car that's it we're not quite that far martin, advanced it's an aston martin with a pretty grunty engine just even him starting the car and kind of like brrr, like someone surely these guards walking towards the gate would be like do you hear a car Oh, what? <laughs> I swear to God, there's a car right Having behind us. I, I actually, I, I love the look of that Aston Martin, by the way. Like, that is a oh, very nice car. <laughs> beautiful. The Vanquish is amazing. Yeah. So, oh, Aston Martin's man. And this was the film that Aston Martin came back on board for. So they hadn't sure, been yeah, around. Yeah. Remember, he'd had BMW. the um, ugly BMWs. Um, but uh, <laughs> he finally gets his Aston Martin back. And it is beautiful. It's so good to see James Bond in an Aston Martin. It's just... It's like peas in a pod. No. What's the thing where you got like perfect, uh, like a gin and tonic? It's that perfect. Sure. Yeah. If the shoe fits. <laughs> That's it. 
The next thing on my list, uh, speaking of janky special effects, is kite surfing. So that's obviously an infamous uh, scene in this movie and in film in general. Uh, We've talked about it a little bit, but yeah, like it just, again, it's one of those things like the invisible car where I feel like in a slightly better movie, I would be into it. Like it would be a weird, fun thing that the movie did. But the movie at that point is so stupid (laughs) and the the effect is so bad that you're just like, come on, man, really? (laughs) It's just... It's really also unnecessary. There's so much at the back end of this movie. There's so much mm. toing and froing, and there's so yeah. many little scenes. And I, I just think it would have been really easy for them to see what that was looking like and go, screw it. We've just got to have him, you know, we've just got to show the shot of him climbing up off that cliff or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, there's so many things in the back end of that movie, and you just don't need it. I like when I was watching it, I'd forgotten the whole thing at the end about on the plane. I'd forgotten that yeah. it didn't end at the yeah, ice palace, yeah. and it just keeps, there's another 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a whole other yeah. sequence. Just the switchblades. The weird proto Iron Man thing happening. Yes, yes. And the weird dick swinging contest between the American guy in charge, the NSA guy oh, or something, in charge Michael in Korea. Madsen. Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen. Falco. What was he? He is an aggressively unpleasant screen presence in this movie. I I don't like him. Is he trying to do like this is George Bush's like America? But then I we know that we all know the the story, and I'm not sure whether people listening uh, would know, but you guys all know that like that that was they're meant to be a spinoff crew, right? Like yeah, Michael Madsen was going to be the M, and there was going to be a whole potential film series with Jinx as the main character. Halle Berry, the Broccoli's and Eon were going to spin off this American version of James Bond with like a, with Halle Berry as, as the, the black female Bond. And the problem um, with that is that having watched this film again now, I just don't buy Halle Berry as a spy. No, yeah, yeah, that's uh, fair. That's fair. I, yeah. I don't... I don't I, I wanted to love it. I wanted to like it. It's just really hard. And I, I like I, it's all over the place. She keeps flicking to this kind of like there's lines that are delivered kind of like like when she goes like I was born on Friday the 13th and you know she has the yo mama line. I was yes. oh, like... <laughs> it, I don't think she's bad. I think she's given a a pretty shit character that has to be like yes. holding her own against him but then also has to just keep falling for him which takes away from the character. Like I like I've said this to Stu in some text but the backdoor pilot that I thought was much better was Michelle Yeoh in Tomorrow Never Dies. Like I thought that totally. was yeah. if they'd managed to make a character that was like that, you know, that held her own and even like he had to trail behind her at parts, but instead she just has to keep getting rescued and yeah i don't i didn't love it yeah rescued but in this <laughs> sassy way like well it took you so long and then bond's like oh oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> frustratingly you know endearing <laughs> and their attempts to make the sexy dialogue just uh, oh just yeah clunkers. i've got i've i've got some quotes um i've been missing the touch of a good woman and she yeah. flicks out a knife oh my god who says i'm good then cuts a guava and I eats it fig. i thought it was a fig is it a fig it looked like a fig to a... me but then i was reading somewhere someone thought it was a pear so it's a, it's a, it's an unidentifiable fruit <laughs> sorry either way she's had by that <laughs> yeah and she's she's had both the knife and the pear guava fig <laughs> 
<laughs> lying there in bed. Um, and then, you know, like, let's, we might as well just jump to the end. Like, it stings for all involved. It's horrible for her. It's horrible for him that this is how he goes out on as a Bond. But the, like, lying in the diamonds and, yep. you know, she goes, mm-hmm. oh, we're still the good guys, huh? And he's like, I'm still not quite as sure how good you are. And she's like, I'm so good. And then his final line is James Bond, especially when you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, it, none of it makes any sense. And that I, scene made me angry. I was oh, like, are you kidding so me? Bad. This movie is the filmic equivalent of that. I don't know whether you guys have seen that meme with the ho- the drawing of the horse, where <laughs> the, the front of it is like really you know well done and almost true to life. And then as you get towards the horse's ass, it just turns into like a stick drawing. Um, that is this movie. That is this movie. It starts out incredibly and then gets progressively worse and worse until it has a final scene that is just like someone. Oh, it feels like someone don't, wrote it on the day. Don't like forget someone said all shit the, in dialogue. And don't forget all the like, no, leave it in. Leave it yeah. in. It fits oh, that, so yeah, yeah. oh, it's uh. just. <laughs> and, they, and they're talking about a diamond in her belly button. Yes. yes. And look, I don't know that much about diamonds, but I assume that lying and sort of rolling around in a whole bunch of them would be like rolling around on tacks. Like broken glass. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine it would be pleasant. And yet, so what they've done is, first of all, just to backtrack a little bit uh, along the bad dialogue lines, when they get the helicopter out of control, because that's how they survive the plane. And it's a bit of a tribute to, I guess, the living daylights with the with the um, four-wheel drive out the back of the plane. But they, they take a helicopter out of the back of the plane and they get it working just in time for it to miss the ground and they fly off, obviously, to this um, hideaway somewhere that they're just able to get into somehow. Hmm. This is before Airbnb. They didn't just look it up on their phone and book it. But they get there and all of the stuff <laughs> Graves' diamond stash is in the back of this helicopter for reasons. Obviously, he was going to skip the point. <laughs> And so they've gone, you know what, we're going to go in there and have some sex because that's what we do because we're spies who don't like commitment and our relationships don't last, but that's okay. We're all about short-term personal satisfaction. Let's take this giant bag of diamonds in with us and then fuck on it. (laughs) I'm sorry to be crude, but, like, there's a logistical thought there. Yeah. Like someone, Bond or Jinx had to go, you know what, I've just always fantasised about having sex on very sharp pieces of of, of uh, the hardest substance in nature. <laughs> There's also a line where the helicopter is crashing and they're about to die. Yes. There is also a line. It, that's when it is. It's left this planet. It's so bonkers because <laughs> there's just like there's just CGI shots and intercut. They've just got these lines. So she just says to him like, "I told you I was a jinx," like with a kind of "oh shucks" kind of thing. <laughs> And then, and he says some line, and then she goes, at least we're going to die rich. And I take it back, and it's worth streaming this movie just for this look. He goes, Mm. huh? Looks at it and goes, oh. As he then wrestles. (laughs) It's this bizarre reaction where, actually, I'll give him this. It's a reaction that you would have if you were about to die in a helicopter crash, and she's there quipping, like, at least we're going to die rich. You'd be like, huh? What? Oh, yeah, great. Help me not die. 
Yeah, that's it. Like, he'll be flying a helicopter. The line that I was going to say earlier, and I forgot, but you're absolutely right, is because he, she had earlier made a mention of when they're in the plane after she kills Miranda Frost about how looks like we're going down together. And so when he gets the helicopter Mm -hmm. back up and running, and he goes, "Now you were saying something about going down together." (laughs) It's just this pause. It's almost like he's giving her a lesson in like, no, see, we stabilize the helicopter, then we do the sexual like quip. Oh. I'm surprised it wasn't something like, and now if you want to, you could say something about my use of the joystick. Oh, God. It's very difficult. I really, I, I do want to try to defend the movie, mm. but there's not a lot of point. Uh, <laughs> no, please do. I think I, that, that I, would be more fun. I think the, the concept of Stu, as you say, the horse drawing that gets more and more. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's good stuff in here. There's, there's good stuff in here, and none of it fits together. It's all broken pieces. And it's, you know, it's, very, it's just all. It's it's one of those examples again of possibly Pierce Brosnan as James Bond being the worst spy. And we always talk about James Bond being the worst spy. Just the worst possible spy. Yeah, but in this one, and the thing is, is that him being the worst spy in this one gets him caught at the at the, at the front. He's betrayed, and he, mm. you know, he gets caught. So he's not very good at escaping in this sense. So he gets caught and he gets tortured. And so they think that he has spilled the beans while he's been having scorpions. Which is a fascinating concept. And yeah. like having a movie about how Bond has to stop a terror, an international terrorist while MI6 thinks he's a rogue agent or something. And, you know, that could be incredible. Yeah, like, it, it wouldn't be a M- standard Bond film, but yeah, maybe M- then if you if you want to do the big tribute Bond, like the, the, the 20th anniversary or the 20th film, 40th anniversary, maybe don't start it with that really interesting concept and then just completely drop it. <laughs> I wonder if there were different paths the script was going down and then they had to change it to fit in all the references or something. The comparison that I also got this time was between this torture scene, which I think is done well. I I like that it's kind of in the opening titles and it lets you have a montage without, like, having a montage in the middle of a James Bond movie. I, I definitely want to talk about this. This is in my minute challenge, but yes. But compare that to what, four years later, you would imagine, you know, the like the torture scene in Casino Royale, mm. like worlds apart. <laughs> that one, <laughs> you know, you have him sitting there manically grinning through it as his like balls are getting warped. Whereas this, <laughs> it's set to a Madonna, you know, single hey, reject. I will... I- <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually mind the song. The song's an earworm. The song's an earworm. It is. It's definitely an earworm. That doesn't make it good. But anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, speaking of Madonna, I did have uh, just on my on my minute challenge. I did have Madonna. So I don't know whether you want to get into the song now, but I definitely want to talk about her cameo because it feels what like- the crap was going on there. <laughs> it feels like you were gonna you wrote what you were gonna say was I wrote down Madonna question <laughs> mark. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why Madonna? Well, that works too. Why Madonna? And also, why Madonna? Uh, <laughs> on the on that theme, Stu, Sigmund Freud analyzed uh, this. Sigmund Freud. Yep, absolutely. This, this. I okay. All right. So what the hell is that line? Stu, we can go back to what your. Hell is any of it? I I I just have to come in with some defense of Madonna here, and I will defend Madonna. <laughs> so I wrote the first thing on my minute challenge list was. Madonna's song is great, the title sequence is great, and I won't hear anything against it. And I won't. So here's my defence. 
So when I first heard this song, I remember incredibly clearly where I was. I was in the garage, in the parking lot at an old share house where I was visiting at the time and I was had the radio on. That's how long ago this was. I still listen to the radio in the car. And they said, here's Madonna's new song from the movie Die Another Day. Oh, my God, it's huge. And I was very excited about this because I love me a Bond film. I love me a Bond theme song. I love me Madonna, you know. Dreams come true. And I listened to it and I hated it. I was like, what the, what the frick is <laughs> And then I saw the movie and I went, oh, my God, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. The lyrics are all about psychology. They're all about shutting down and the whole thing about Bond training himself to lower his heart rate so he can get through these sort of torturous sessions, I guess. But all of the lyrics about I'm going to close my body, I'm going to de- destroy my ego. I'm going to it's, – it's all about like – getting through a physical trial by outsmarting them mentally. And I went, it makes total sense. It, and, and so seeing that title sequence bring in the torture and you see the fire and the ice and the different the scorpions and stuff and the boots of these, you know, um, prison guards. And I was just enraptured and went, it's one of the best woven title songs that, that tie in with the story that, that I think I found. And it also has, it kind of has a secondary life as, as an allegory for the Toby Stevens character, like in terms of he went, he goes through a lot of pain because he doesn't sleep and all of that stuff. So he, he kind of has his own like physical demons. So it applies there as a secondary layer, but primarily it's about Bond surviving as he tells the, the hotel concierge, just surviving, just surviving. And uh, so because of that, even with its strange sort of guitar knocks and little quiffs and the little like, uh, uh, I guess I'll die another. And it's a slightly robotic edge, which was a product of the time. I think that kind of tuning was starting to come in in music. And also Madonna's very of its time. Yeah, Madonna was getting into her kind of electronica sort of stage and she'd done music which had a lot of that uh, robo, a bit of vocal what do you call it, manipulation on some of the songs. And I don't know, I just think that Madonna's very clever as a songwriter and I think that it ties the opening sequence into the title sequence really well. And I think it's a banger. I, I get it. I, okay, look, 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 just a counterpoint to that, just a counterpoint to that, Natalie, I will, you you make a lot of good points about that and I, I, I understand that. Just to rebut that, the song sucks and I hate it. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, so that's affirmative <laughs> in the negative. Uh. Look, I, I, I like that it is it is very different and that fits with a like very different style of opening credits. And it doesn't feel totally doesn't totally fit the seriousness for me. Like he's like almost being killed. It's a bit like it's a bit like the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie doesn't take the fact that he was tortured and brought near death seriously, so the song kind of doesn't either. But one thing I will say is though. You're right. She's very talented. She had just a couple of years earlier done the song for The Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah, yes. Stranger. I was going to say, I love that she did uh, She did uh, Austin Powers before she did Bond. Yes. And that's a great song too. It's love an excellent it. song. That's actually a good song, yeah. Yeah. And so- I don't super mind her in this movie like she pops up she doesn't need to be there she drops a bit of exposition she's out she is a purely extraneous character nick she does not need to be in this movie at all but then so many of them don't need to be in this movie (laughs) it's one of the strange things about madonna it really is that she is such a magnetic presence as a performer and i've seen her live when i was 13 
Thank you. I went to the girly show. She's been to Brisbane since. But, and yeah, for years it was the only Brisbane show that she had ever done out at uh, QE2 Stadium on the south side and I went with some school friends and an older brother who was, you know, supervising us and it was my first ever concert, which I still think is pretty cool. My first concert was Madonna, not going to lie, proud of that. And she is magnetic and we were up in the stands, you know, you saw most of it on the screens, but she is just an amazing performer and she's great in music video clips. But then when she does acting, it's can be really wooden. And I'll say there are some notable exceptions to that. I think she is phenomenal in A League of Their Own, Mm. which I keep meaning Mm. to find and track down and watch again because I haven't watched it in years. And she's so good in that because she's playing, I guess, very close to type for her. She's sort of playing like the team's notorious good time gal. And that I think really suits her. But in this one, she's being sort of the, you know, elusive, cool fencing trainer. (laughs) I was about to say, hang on, what what is her character, Natalie? What what's her character she's, in this she's movie? She's the cool, elusive fencing trainer. Duh. Sure, that 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 old trope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to tell. What the problem is is that Bond introduces himself to her as if they've never met, but then she talks to him like they're old friends and yeah. talks about Gustav Graves. It's like, oh, you want to meet him? And again, leads into Bond being the worst spy. <laughs> basically walking walking up to Gustav Graves going, hey, look, I've got some of your diamonds. I know they're African conflict diamonds. Let's play for it, bitch. (laughs) Let's have a sword fight. (laughs) Okay, I will say, how's your list going, Stu? Um, I have, we've basically covered all of it. Let, let's let's kick on. <laughs> because I had on my list, after Madonna, I had Toby Stevens is hot, Harry Pierce is hot, the fencing scene is hot. <laughs> and I stand by it. Pretty hot. <laughs> Toby Stevens ripping off his, you know, white sort of vest and he's, he's just got the singlet with the braces on and the pants and he goes and gets some old school weapons and is like, right, first blood from the torso, bam. Now, as some of you may know, actually, I think I might have edited this out of previous podcasts because I always feel like I get a bit, (laughs) sound a bit like a wanker for talking about this. But I took up historical sword fighting classes last year. 2019 was a good year for me. I learned how to fight with swords. I was on TV. I did the Edinburgh Fringe. 2020, not so much, but that's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Swings and roundabouts. Um, I will say these podcasts have been the bright spot in my year. So there you go. Thank you all very much for being here. Yeah, no, it's true. It's actually very true. But my point is fencing, sword fighting, fencing, whatever you call it, it's bloody good. I love watching uh, the fences at the school that I went to, you know, the top echelons doing their thing because it's magic. It just looks so good. And these are ordinary people who you probably wouldn't notice in the day-to-day life. You'd catch the train with them. You'd sit next to them at work. And then at night they put on stockings and doublet and hose and then they freaking go to town on each other with long swords. And I love it and it's great. So any kind of film where there's just two guys having at it and later two girls having at it with swords, I'm here for. So thoughts on the sword fight? (laughs) No, absolutely. Look, look, it's a good sword fight. Um, as far as sword fights go, it's it's pretty bloody good. They they get into the bit of the Robin Hood action. They they're jumping up and down staircases and and all that sort of thing. It's good. It's fun. It's a fun sequence. I have nothing bad to say about it. And it's really fun because Toby Stevens, who of course is the son of Dame Maggie Smith, 
Yes, which oh. I'm just finding out. Can I, can I just say, Toby Stevens was a revelation to me only because I'm a big fan of the Netflix science fiction series Lost in Space. I uh, only just worked out that that was him. I yep, only yep, just so did I, Nick, so did I. When I was, just before we came on air, I did a couple, a quick little click around just getting some facts and things, and my jaw hit the floor. I had no idea that that was the same guy in, in, Lo- in the current series of Lost in Space as in this movie that is insane to me he is two completely different people okay which is strangely on theme see me uh if we can just go back to natalie's own propensity for dark brooding byronic heroes uh (laughs) toby stevens played mr rochester in a 2006 bbc adaptation of jane eyre which is hysterical because he spends the whole film talking about how ugly he is and he's literally the handsomest man in the universe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's literally sitting there going, Jane, do you find me ugly? And she's sitting there looking at him like, clearly not. You are clearly the most attractive man in all of England. <laughs> Shut your face. But, but yeah. He does and, have and a bit of a, I mean, especially in this movie, he does have a, a, a slightly sneering quality to him. Do you know why I think that why is? Why is that? I think he worked with the actor who played the character Tan Sun Moon, the Korean actor, because he sneers like that. And I think Toby Stevens is copying his sneer because he he doesn't yeah. really sneer like that in other things that I've seen him in. And if he does it in Lost, I haven't watched the Lost in Space. Look, let's be frank, I haven't watched any Lost in Space. I think it's about a family who are lost. Lost in space. In space. Yeah. Lost in space. Yeah. Matt LeBlanc has something to do with it. That's all I know. Um, he's, he's related. <laughs> he's somehow related. And the chick from Party of Five. That's all I know. But, yeah, so I haven't seen him in the new one. But in all of the stuff I've seen him in, he doesn't seem to sneer that way. It's a very deliberate curled lip sneer. And I think it's because he is showing that despite this, you know, genetic different face, different skin colour, he has maintained the underlying facial structure, I guess, or the underlying, you know, how your face moves. Sure. That's my theory anyway, because it was, and, and I noticed it much more this time from the actor playing Suntan Moon. Is he, no, Tan Sun Moon. I was saying, is his name really Suntan Moon? It sounds like a Japanese anime character. Uh, <laughs> Although, having said that, his name is Tan Sun Moon, which which does feel a bit on the nose. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> you just know they did that. <laughs> yeah. They definitely did <sighs> Nobody else has a punny name in... in oh, this- mm, what about uh, Miranda Frost? <laughs> Who, yeah, who has uh, a punny name has, after the fact. Yeah, well, who has the scene with M where M points out that she hasn't been sleeping with the people that have been hitting on her. And then well, with the implication she, that M's like, come on then. J- Judy Dench plays that so straight that it looks to me like she's gone, oh, I'm saying this? And they're going, yeah, 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 that's, that's the lines. And she's going, <laughs> um and that that's that scene which has her saying like you know oh it'd be foolish to get involved with someone you know especially james bond smash cut to glaciers frosty yes. she's frosty and then it's as if it's way. not it's too subtle you know bond says like an ice palace you must feel right at home <laughs> uh, can we talk about the ice palace yeah half well... sydney opera house half mcdonald's arches <laughs> Well, I feel like it's meant to evoke, like, the, you know, the the, yes. the, the, the water base from Spy Who Loved Me and yeah, a couple yeah. of other Bond lairs. Like, it's yeah. meant to be, like, a classic Bond villain lair. And I guess it is in many ways, but it's also it's hugely improbable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And it's also so fake looking. Like the, the, the spy who loved me lair of Stromberg looks way more real than this because it was real. It was a model, but it was real. So it looks real and uh, it's just perspective that changes it. Whereas this is clearly like they've gone and shot these beautiful vistas of Iceland well before Game of Thrones, I'll point out. But these beautiful vistas and then plonked, you know, a dodgy CGI, as you say, McDonald's, Sydney Opera House hybrid <laughs> on the horizon. And I love the fact, again, going into plot things, he built the Ice Palace for this demonstration. Yes. Specifically for this demonstration. Yes. He shows the demonstration and says, look, here is my Icarus machine. Nobody questions the fact that it's called Icarus, which is a famous Mm. Greek legend of someone who flies too close to the sun with wax Mm. in their wings and therefore fails. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The whole whole point of the Icarus myth is, no, 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 if you get too cocky, you'll, um, you'll die. You mean Icarus that he explains as that having a miraculous silver skin that will inhale the sun's light and breathe it <laughs> gently upon the Earth's surface? Why? Can I just say, though, like, like obviously it's a giant solar space laser, which is fine. A yeah. Great concept. Yeah. Love a good space laser. Yeah. What is he selling it as? Because he, he says he, it will it will breathe the sun's rays gently on the world. What is it meant to be doing? He, the one thing he gives is you could grow more crops. That's the one he said we could solve. By, world by having more sun? Yeah. Yeah. So you go to some really cold places, Stu, that don't get sunlight or maybe they're in winter. And then you get the sunlight to reflect down, and then they can grow pineapples. Because as we all know, in his sitting here in 2020, uh, we want the earth to be warmer. <laughs> and he even makes a global warming joke in 2002. Yeah. Like oh, global warming is a terrible no, thing. That's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> because that takes me to my favourite scene. <laughs> Which is where, okay, so it's just said the scene, he's had his confrontation with Bond. And mm-hmm. what I love is that Bond uses his like ring thing to bust through the glass and start running away. There are machine guns being fired at him. It's a really and cool effect. Gra- I will just say, when, when the floor oh, shatters beneath cool. them and they all yeah. drop down through it, it's really, really cool. Yeah. There's little individual bits like that, that that work really well. What I love is that he yells in Korean at Zhao, kill him quietly. <laughs> <laughs> so he's yelling because there's a lot of machine guns firing and so you think well maybe he's saying like let's do it this quieter but then Zhao chases him outside turns to some goons with machine guns and says kill him now <laughs> he hops in the speeder he speeds away and then you smash cut to suddenly Zhao is running back in the room and saying he got away and he says don't worry you know this is a guy who just said kill him quietly I'll use my sun laser. Yes. He, he summons the generals, <laughs> and then after doing the whole kind of, you know, yeah, like, yeah, just the derogar, you know, shooting the sun laser at him as he's fleeing in his, you know, land speed record-breaking car, he quips to the generals, global warming, it's such a terrible thing, and they just bow to him. <laughs> yes! Yes. It makes <laughs> no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I think they just had to end that scene and the only other shot they had was like, oh, we've got the shot of the Koreans bowing to him. But they could have just ended on Toby Stevens' sneering face, like global war. Yes, Terrible exactly. thing. But instead, it's like it's like they're going, oh, we pay tribute to the king of puns. We bow in respect of the king of puns. <laughs> but but oh. if I can just add to that, 
is the timing again because the demonstration happens in the evening, like the previous evening. Bond then tries to sneak around to see, you know, what was happening and I think that's the invisible car bit and he sets off a a pipe or something and then Miranda pulls him, you know, between a car and starts kissing him going, oh, this is cover and he's like, I knew you were pretending to not be into me. And she's like, oh, you're incorrigible. And then he just starts kissing her more, which I'll admit I thought was kind of hot, but whatevs. And then <laughs> she's like, have they gone? And he's like, oh, they left ages ago. And he keeps saying, she's like, oh, you're ridiculous. And then they go into back to his room and he's like, you best stay here tonight. Keep up the pretense of us being lovers. So he's literally mm-hmm. just said, keep up the pretense. And then she's just gone, okay, fine. Drops and just dress. Drops the dress. Drops the dress, naked. She's totally nude. And what I want to say, because Halle Berry isn't that ice. I've been to Iceland. I went to Iceland in summer, okay? End of summer, two years ago. <laughs> to be precise, I was in Iceland two years ago. And I was freezing. Now, yes, I'm from Queensland. And, yes, it's still cold there. But you can't be in a glamorous formal dress, backless or shoulderless, with no coat, in an ice palace, and not even any undergarments, not even a nice pair of cotton underwear, just to keep your bum a bit warm. Like, I don't, like, that's the stuff I sort of focus on, because they have a lot of the guests in bundled up in nice furs and whatnot, but of course the sexy women have to be sexy. So, like, no, we have to have you in a sexy dress. Um, but anyway, I'll get back to the point of the story, which is so so they go back and have sex. Uh, another thing, he puts his gun under the pillow in sight of her and then they do it and you realise later on that she's taken the bullets out of his gun at some point while they've been sleeping. The whole point of him sleeping with a gun under his pillow is to indicate that he doesn't sleep deeply enough to be just like... Uh, obviously he did. Obviously he slept deeply enough that she could retrieve the gun, take out the bullets, put it back. Anyway, the point is there's all these people there at the Ice Palace who've seen Gustav Graves, <laughs> famous millionaire, new knight, test out this new remarkable bit of technology that's going to help the mm. poor, and then they're just gone. They've just disappeared by the next yeah, Everyone's day. left. Everyone's left. They all caught early, early flights. <laughs> they all got away. And it's a, an immediate switch. Like within 12 hours of this demonstration happening – Bond's had sex with Miranda. Jinx has been caught, but he has to go rescue her. Has the confrontation with Gustav Graves, which is well, I get, is just so laden with puns. It's <laughs> insane. With the die another day. One. You've got you've got die another day. Bond says the fun is about to come to a dead end. <laughs> He he says like oh your swagger's a your defense mechanism and he says my defense mechanism's right here and holds up his gun. She says like good of you to bring the gun with to bed with us and he goes occupational hazard. Gustav Graves said that he uses frost you know everything at her disposal even her sex and he goes the coldest weapon of all. <laughs> he tells Zhao I missed your sparkling personality and yeah. then Zhao finishes it off by punching him and saying how's that for a punchline? It's like. It's too much, guys. Yeah. It's just yeah, too yeah, yeah. much. Yeah. Oh. That that scene got so many notes. And in the, in amongst all of that, he explains the whole like, oh yeah, her fencing competitor in Sydney. I made them OD on steroids. That's why we're you know that's why it, like it's just. Oh, it's too much. But like, he's explaining in front of her how he like yeah. turned her. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. And she's totally okay with this. Yeah, she's about winning. And also, nobody ever addresses the fact that she's an MI6 agent who apparently has spent three years in cryptography, cryptology. Yes. Crypt, you know, the secret but codes. T- but t- took a bit of time off to go to the Olympics. But she's also a master fencer. Yes. Who went to the Olympics and would have won if not for those pesky kids. So, <laughs> so Moon, a.k.a. Graves, but probably still Moon, we've worked out according to the timeline, has organised for the poisoning and gone, hey, in return, you can now be my spy on the inside. And she's gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's gone, okay, hang tight, got to go get my face changed. And she's like, cool, cool, I'm digging it. Totally, makes absolute yes. sense. Makes absolute and, sense. And M would have known all about this if Michael Madsen had given her the intel that they were on the same fencing team at Harvard. That is a line that they actually drop in the middle of Korea being blown up. Yes, that's right. Because they, they, they're like, it wasn't Bond after all. It was the fact that she knew. Yeah. You can't accuse them of leaving any plot lines loose. They address sure, yeah. it all. They do it. <laughs> that, look, to the film's credit, they do kind of make it all make sense. Mm. Although I've got a few... I've got a few other things because I think we've gone through everything on my list. CGI is bad. I wrote many A's. Uh, Madonna, Toby Stevens is hot. Okay, cool. Invisible car. I also wrote Halle Berry, Yo Mummered It in this film. (laughs) Which, again, was one of those like, oh, Yo Mama. I mean, I know she's a black woman. She can say that, but it was so tonally. The way she said it, it felt like she couldn't say that. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that's right. It, it, yeah, like the, the way she said it, I'm like, can Haley Berry say that? She also says, your mama, and then who I, I'm going to have a word with and she's going to be disappointed in you. So it's not like, it's not even like they, yeah. like they hedge their bets. They're like, oh, well, we should do a your mama thing, but like. Oh. Let's add to it. <laughs> Let's... Look, I will say, like, you know, there haven't been too many people of colour in James Bond films that have had such a prominent role, that's good. Sure. Oh, for sure. No, it is. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's a step forward. You know, you have a black woman who, you know, in some of the scenes gets to hold her own against James Bond. (laughs) Oh, she's great. I think she's really great in the sequence at the gene lab, Los Los Del Organos, because she and Bond, when Bond picks her up in Havana, um, which I think they actually filmed all of that in Cadiz in Spain. Apparently the bit where... Okay, can we just talk about Halle Berry coming out of the water in the bikini a la Ursula Andress? So much is made of this as being her Ursula Andress moment and she emerges from the water like Ursula Andress. She doesn't. It's not remotely like Ursula Andress. It's just the fact that she's got a knife belt. I I was going to say, why does she have a knife? Because Ursula Andress does. Yeah, Yeah, I know. know That's that's the reason. It's a reference. Yeah, that's, that's the, the only but reason. Like, you know, in universe, why was she swimming with a knife strapped to her hip? I guess she's a secret agent. Always be armed. It's so weird. Yeah. So weird. And then I you mean, look, like, you know, creepy. Yeah, she, she looks amazing, and you know, she, oh, she's. That's how I try to walk out of the beach every time I go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I come out of the water like she does the thing where she comes like in one sw- swift move, head out from under the water, then like lifts up both arms to just let them drip, and then just <laughs> saunter up the beach. Yeah, but she does it all in like Bond's binoculars. Yes. It's, it's like performative for him. But of course, oh, it's all for him. It's all it, for him. But it wouldn't be because how would she have known that he was there? Like he's it's up the it's beach? not it's not for him, but it's it's all for him because yes. he's the camera because he's us. 
Yes, and then, I, then he gives her the he's creepy the living like, embodiment of the male gaze. Yeah, I and then he like, gives her the really creepy like they do all that exchange all that stuff about what do the predators do when the sun yeah. goes down. He refers they, to himself as a predator. Yeah, yeah, and says he feast. They feast like there's no I tomorrow. He's referring to the dodgy um South African dude. The well, next table over. He he is at first, but then it's clear that later on in that conversation he's talking about himself. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, the, the that familiar trope of the belligerent gun toting South African tourist. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Who, I, I can't think, do it does justice. He kill or just maim that guy later on? I think he just uh, knocks him out. Maims. He knocks him out. I can't do it justice, but I love the way <laughs> that they make Pierce Brosnan about three times say mojito. <laughs> yes. I was going to say he refers to mojito as if it is some exotic He's like, like, you should try you know, it. Foreign drink. Yes, you should try it. I guess they... it was 2002. If maybe it was having a moment. Well, the heroes... They existed before that, I want to be clear. But, like, I don't know. Maybe it was, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Mojito. Mojito. <laughs> I just tried this new drink called uh, Mojito. It's probably, look, it's probably an effect of the, a, like, a PTSD from the torture. <laughs> <laughs> We should remember that he is he is suffering from yeah. PTSD threats. Because, I'm like, a... I know we spoke about it already, but, like, they're not going to do the gritty James Bond that we get in the next couple of movies. But he just had some effects of this torture. Or if he'd just, like, a couple of times gone, like, you know, they took something away from me. Or, you know, like, if they paused in bed for one moment for her to, like, look at his, obviously, probably dozens of scars that she obviously doesn't ask any questions about. Yeah. You know, that would have maybe brought something and he it would have been a motivation. She pulls a knife on him in bed and he does <laughs> yeah. not react at all. No. And he, not only is he a spy, but he has just undergone 14 months of intense torture. He doesn't react well, he, at all. He probably bought the figs. <laughs> The mojitos. <laughs> well, I think that he does react because in the bedroom scene, because I mean, it's pretty good if you're just out 14 months. I mean, has James Bond ever had a dry spell that long when it comes to women? Um, <laughs> and the first chick he picks up is Halle Berry in a bikini. Like, you got to give the guy some credit. He's, you know, high class quality tail the whole way through. <laughs> it's not to demean Halle Berry, but, you know, the woman is genetically flawless. Let's be real. It's astonishing. And the thing is, she's aging backwards. I don't know if you've seen any recent photos of Halle Berry, but she looks younger now. She's amazing. She looks looks incredible. I don't know how. It's just, it's depressing that that's that's what it is. Um, (laughs) Maybe she had some of that gene therapy herself while they were. Yeah, maybe. But the scene is like, he's really in that love scene. It's almost awkward how kind of like, He's literally feasting on her. You know, they make the feasting predator kind of jokes, but he is really like, you know. She's on top, though. Well, she is, but I don't feel like Bond's ever been a man who would be against that. I think he'd be like, yeah, just saddle up, baby, let's go. (laughs) I think Sean Sean Connery's Bond probably like to be on top. I, I can't see him being underneath. (laughs) <laughs> one day we're he's gonna the, do he's that. the only one though i think i think all the other bonds that would be cool with it but i feel like sean connery's <laughs> bond would not be cool with it he'd be weird about it he'd be like oh no no i don't do that <laughs> i love the way that we're slowly sort of getting into like each bond's preferred sex positions sure <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, what the different bonds are, you know, their preferences in the bedroom. Okay, cool. What I will say is that, of course, Bond wakes up to find her gone and sees her getting on the boat to the island. And I think she does a great job in that whole sequence where she is the full-on assassin, US assassin, going in to kill the doctor who considers himself an artist by, I guess, stealing people who won't be missed and then using their DNA to create new people. Yeah. So she just like, like all artists, you better know when you're dead. Bang! Like I thought that was a really fun pun slash death quip. And then when she is firing at Zhao, who is Rick Yune, I think is the actor, and he's great as Zhao. He's really, really charismatic. Also incredibly well built. My God. You see him running shirtless. <laughs> In that scene, and his pecs are just like flexing as he runs. <laughs> I like to pay attention to the films as we watch them. I'm not a pervert. Um, but she's shooting at him with this gun with a big silencer on it and running up a hill and shooting, and then Bond's sort of exploded himself out of the building, is going, What's going on? And he runs up, and she's on the edge of this fort on the island. Yes. And then she rips her dress off. She's got a wrap dress on and just kind of like pulls a string and it's off. And she's in this incredible bikini. And then she just looks at Bond and gives him sort of a wink and then just tumbles backwards and reverses. I, I rewound that like yeah, five times because it's just this just it's like the effect is pretty cool, but it's just like twenty percent off. And because mm. it's like a fake it's something to do with like the perspective of like the camera's tilting down and she's diving backwards and it's it yeah. almost works. It's It looks a little weird. There's something off there. Well, there's something off with the effect, but I like the style of it. Like, it gives Jinx yeah. a very cool, like, here today, gone to... And then when she gets into the boat that's waiting for her, she kind of looks up at Bond and gives him sort of almost a salute, like, see ya, you know, and it's quite fun. But, yeah, her character just seems probably similar to the movie. She's given a really good introduction, quite a fun... Mm. you know blatantly sexual obviously with the, the bikini which, which ursula andrus doesn't walk like that just to back my point ursula andrus you just you literally <laughs> just see her walking up a beach holding shells she's not being sexy for the camera like mm. well and not only that like she was in the white bikini right like the, the point was that she would that it's the iconic white bikini and then they put Halle berry in this weird like it's pink coral, number. It, it's, it's a coral coloured bikini. A coral coloured bikini. I'm and not sure why they did that. Why not put her in the white bikini? Yeah, because she would look great in a white bikini. She'd look incredible like, in the white against, bikini. Against, would, I, I mean, she's wearing a white bikini later, isn't she? No, she's wearing a pink bikini when she swan dives off the. Uh... Okay, so she's wearing the same bikini. So, so yeah. I mean, she'd look incredible. It would look great on her. I don't know why they didn't do that. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're doing it as a homage. Homage? Homage. Uh, but we're not going to go the full from <laughs> Look, it's definitely from Argie, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they don't go the full hog, so yeah, it's it's a bit strange. But yes, can I tell you some of my other things that I noticed about this film? We have a little blink and you miss it um, reference where he picks up the bird watching book. Oh yes, that's a oh, reference, yes. right? Yeah. James Bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, I feel like the the Hall of Mirrors is only yes. there to be a little mm. uh, man, man with, with the golden, golden gun. gun. It's Born weird. Gun. There's no reason because it's a hidden door <laughs> that he has to find the secret button to open. 
Yes. And then it's just a hall of mirrors and DNA little helixes, you know, helixes yes. just to get to another bog standard office. Corridor. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, no, it, you definitely feel like they went through and went, okay, could we put something in there? Like Gustav Graves, did he have to parachute into yes. the palace with a Union Jack parachute? Sure, why not? Also, Bond is, uh, Pierce Brosnan is smoking cigars because he's in Cuba, I guess. But there's this whole thing about, I think it's the secret code is the cigars, mm. talking about cigars for a while. And then he's smoking cigars the whole time he's there. And so I wonder if that's like a tribute to the early Roger Morse, how he was mm. constantly Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it, it, it felt very right. <laughs> This whole movie felt very uh, late period more. Didn't it just? There it, was definitely, yeah. In the worst possible in, way. It, <laughs> look, this movie kind of fits into my to my little theory, which is I think all of the actors should have three films and then they're done. Mm. Mm. Fight me. Uh, look. <laughs> like, think about it. You, you uh, get the... You get the best Conneries. Like, I think the three, it's not that the three movies are always perfect, but they let them try a couple of different things. After three movies, it gets flabby. They go way too big. They don't know where to go. Well, then you wouldn't get Roger Moore in Moonraker. No, you wouldn't. That's, that's the but, only thing. We've got to be and, brutal. And speaking of Roger Moore, I do I did find this uh, incredibly good quote in my research, aka Wikipedia, because this film obviously got mixed reviews. Some people really mm. loved it and said it was a great modern action movie. Uh, Who loves this movie? That's insane. I'll read you some of the um, anti-reviews here. James Berardinelli of RealViews.net said, This is a train wreck of an action film, a stupefying attempt by the filmmakers to force-feed James Bond into the mindless triple X mould and throw four years of cinematic history down the toilet in favour of bright flashes and loud bangs. Of the action, okay. of the action sequ- sequences, he said, Die Another Day is an exercise in loud explosions and excruciatingly bad special effects. The CGI work in this movie is an order of magnitude worse than anything I've seen in a major motion, motion picture. Coupled with lousy production design, Die Another Day looks like it was done on the cheap. Gary Brown of Houston Community Newspapers. I love the way, I, I wonder who edits these quotes in. It's Gary Brown. <laughs> I guarantee you it's Gary Brown. <laughs> if I was Gary Brown and I had an article in the Houston Community Newspapers, I'd be putting it in Wikipedia. Okay, so you're saying that we could go back through this podcast, find quippy lines that Stu and I and you and other guest hosts have uh, have said, and we can just edit them into the Wikipedia and say, um, Stuart Late of the Raven Bond podcast says, this movie is a terrible pile of crap, Natalie. <laughs> Uh, yes, Roger Moore said, apparently, I just thought it just went too far, and that's from me, the first Bond in space. Invisible, oh. invisible cars and dodgy CGI footage? Please. Wow. Mm. I, I, I love Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> he is pretty great. If people read my Tomorrow Never Dies recap, they will see a loving tribute to Roger Moore as the mysterious Blofeld-like character in Spice World, the Spice Girls movie. <laughs> he is so good in that. He just It's a little part. It's uh, – tiny little sequences within the film and he just plays it totally straight and nails the brief. He is superb. Rest in peace, Roger. But, yes, so a few things that I noticed about this film that I wanted to discuss. The first one is just to go back to that title sequence. I didn't clarify this earlier, but I just I really want to state that I thought one of the reasons why I love the opening title sequence and the fact 
that Bond is in North Korea being tortured for 14 months is because it helps cover September 11. M even says to him, while you were away, the world changed. And that's the only reference to September 11. They don't explicitly state but, of course, something that big has to be somehow referenced, has to be somehow kind of accepted as, as happening in real life. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the only line. I felt like they had this script and they were like, oh, we can't, we've got to acknowledge it. And so we, so they have M say that line. They're like, you know, I don't have the luxury of seeing things in black and white. You know, the world changed while you were away. But then Bond responds with, not for me. <laughs> and it's like... What does what does that mean? Yeah, like, like what, it doesn't make any sense. Like he's saying, like I won't compromise, and she's saying, like oh things aren't black and white anymore. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not black and white because he's like I'm not dealing with any radical Islamic fanatical terrorists. I'm dealing with the North Koreans. Yeah. I'm still dealing with an enemy that was created during the Cold War, aka my peak. So uh, sit on it, M. <laughs> I, I love I love the idea of there being a lost scene of this film somewhere where James Bond is being told about September 11 happening. Mm. <laughs> like, so what, you well, into the Pentagon and the World Trade Center, both of them? What, they just collapsed? Well, they didn't tell me this when I was in a North Korean prison. We didn't have CNN. Gosh. <laughs> All those, wow, that really has changed the geopolitical landscape, hasn't it? Knowing this movie, then the you know room service would come with his Bollinger, and he'd like make some quip about it, and <laughs> that's what this movie soon, would James, do with that. Too soon. Yeah. Do you want to see something else go down, like the towers? Am I doing it right? Am I do- is that is that a, an appropriate? I, I don't know. I've just everyone else in the room is like looking at him in horror. I, I guess what you're saying is I'm going to crash and burn with you tonight. Is that is that what uh, is that right? Was that? No, I'm, was... so, I'm sorry, you cut out there. Nat. I uh, missed just all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Something else I wanted to mention is that Bond what? says in the helicopter to Halle Berry, "My relationships don't last long either." And I think that's the first time James Bond has ever said in any Bond movie that he is not good at relationships. Like Again, maybe about. it's the PTSD coming back. He's like mm. suddenly he's about to die, the helicopter's crashing, and he's just he's just having some real moments. He's having some deep and meaningfuls. But again, it's one of those things, as you said a bit earlier, Nick. There's these little moments in the film of things that are really interesting. And I just thought this one offhanded line of my relationships don't last either. And almost this jokingly like, ha, yeah, I'm a commitment phobe and living in a dangerous uh, world where. <laughs> one time my wife was shot. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jinx turns to him and says, you're what? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. You're what? I well, anyway, you, you want to have sex on some diamonds? made me think maybe the whole because it doesn't really say where they go to have sex on diamonds could have been a while away i mean imagine the conversation then <laughs> in the helicopter oh my relationships don't last either as i was a time on this island uh, um off jamaica as a beautiful girl in a white bikini very similar to what you were wearing when when i met you but uh well that didn't last long uh then there was a girl in russia uh, took her back to England, said that I'd, you know, be around for longer, but uh, no. Uh, then there was this lesbian who ran a circus with planes. <laughs> so had a little bit of a fling there. That was that was good. That was score one for. I was a clown once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. In space and having zero G sex. <laughs> One time I went to space. Halle <laughs> <laughs> oh, Berry then, like, looking at him going, this guy is delusional. It's full Simpsons, Frank Grimes. Oh, you've never been to space? Yes, yes. You've never been to space? <laughs> guys, I don't know if you watched on DVD or streamed it like I did, but did you guys have a weird British Airways ad halfway through the film? <laughs> where you get a beautiful like 360 degree shot of a British Airways plane and then James Bond <laughs> sitting there in the plane getting like wonderful like I remember at the time feeling and... like the use of the clash was a oh, little Oh yeah. But I kind of loved it this time. I, I kind of loved it this time. I kind of loved its audacity. It's it's like wow, you used the clash and it's almost like you know, I know you mentioned him walking into Hong Kong, but the Cuba stuff I didn't mind so much, but it's almost when, like, London calling happens. Mm. And he's just, he's reading the in-flight magazine that happens to have an article on Graves. Yes. As a way to study up on Graves. <laughs> <laughs> but yet nobody in that article presumably has done what I said earlier and asked him about the chemical no. composition of his diamonds. And then the final thing I wanted to talk about in terms of Lee Tamahori's directing, and I feel like this happened more in the latter half of the film, and I wonder if it's just they were trying to jazz it up a bit or they decided, hey, let's do some more creative camera work or editing work, I should say, because it starts bringing in all these almost, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, Matrix style effects. I know you're a, you're a better film expert. Yeah, yeah, it starts doing weird slow-mo stuff. Slow-mo, like a whip pan from... Yeah. From, Omo into a, like a whip around into the action and it happens when during action sequences so it happens with the cars on the on the frozen lake but it also happens with graves and zhao kind of standing at their computer watching and it's like whips to the desk whips. I, I believe it's called speed ramping and it's where you kind of you slow it down and then you speed it up and so yeah you're right they do it with the ice lake driving and you'll get like the helicopter shot will slow down for a couple of seconds and they do a bit of like that weird trailer effect and then it speeds up and suddenly everything's moving really fast um, but they he uses slow-mo it's really dated but he uses slow-mo all the way that's all the way throughout like even when he's stopping his heart and the doctors are reacting mm. it all goes slow-mo for a mm-hmm. second and well, we noticed is that, that a reference to earlier Bond films? Because the, obviously there was a lot of speed ramping in the early Bond films, which was just a, an effect <laughs> they used to make it look like cars were going faster than they were. It was a tribute. <laughs> I think they actually have a, a bit of a problem in this movie. Mostly the car stuff works in this movie for me, but the hovercrafts and the land speed machine <laughs> both kind of have the problem of they don't, even if the land speed thing is going fast, because there's it's on like just ice, there's not much yeah. to compare it to, so it doesn't look like it's going yeah. fast, and then hovercrafts don't really rock it along, and so they kind of no. have to edit around both of those. The final thing I was going to say is... How does Money Penny's sexual fantasy with James Bond at the end oh actually work? And to that extent, how does I mean we should talk about John Cleese's Q um, because that's how we first see the 3D. I don't like virtual. any of them. I, don't I like thought he was in of more of these. No, it's just the two. I, I have a memory of him being in more of these. John Cleese. <laughs> yeah, John Cleese. Being in I didn't more think boxes. it was two. I thought it was like three, maybe. No. Yeah, no, just the, just the two. I just like him two. more in this one than the last one. Well, that's because he replaces Desmond Llewellyn, yeah. and so he takes on – he is Q. He takes on the, you know, I'm the grumpy older man with the rapscallion 
wild rogue agent who does what he wants with my carefully constructed technology. Whereas in the previous one, he was kind of the buffoonish assistant. Um, whereas this one, he has to get a bit serious. So this is where they have a secret Q lab in an old underground train station, old tube station. And this is where we see all of the gadgets. But before we see we the gadget, see the jet we see the jetpack from Thunderball. We see the suitcase from From Russia with Love with the throwing knife. We see Lottie Lenya's Rosa Klebb shoe with the sticky mm. poison stabby thing. There's the octopusy light plane in the background of one shot. Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the tiny plane that was concealed in the horse's ass. I'm trying to remember if there were any others that I could think of, but that, those are the ones I noticed. But, yes, but it's, it's down here that Bond is practising his marksmanship, I guess, with a 3D simulated attack. I just don't like the fake out of it because you – I, I don't know. I, I remember the first time seeing it just going, oh, okay, this is happening now. You, yeah. you know, you, you, you think it's happening, and then as soon as you know it's not, you're like, oh, so so that wasn't real at all, so you've just inserted this in just to raise the they, stakes a bit because it was lagging. Not, I don't think they even did that. I think they had the idea for the comedy fantasy sequence and to and have worked backwards and have to work backwards because yeah. otherwise it wouldn't have made sense. The joke wouldn't work if yeah. you didn't already know that the glasses were a thing. So I think they just went back and went, hey, wouldn't it be funny if Moneypenny was having like a fantasy? And I actually felt offended on Moneypenny's behalf. Yeah, yeah, I felt yeah. bad for her. I'm like, don't give this woman – the whole point of Moneypenny is that she's got self-respect. Hmm. Not to say that other Bond girls don't, but she's constantly kind of mooning after Bond, but she's not actually throwing herself – Okay, well, it could be it could be construed as her saying, "Bring me back an engagement ring." Okay, maybe that is. But it's a banter. There's like a relationship of mutual like, respect. Yeah, it's she's like, not creeping on him with yeah. like AI. Yeah, and the thing is, is that this is a program. It has to be programmed. Also, did she put on the glasses and first see his simulation where she's dead? Because <laughs> she's maybe. dead in his simulation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then M gets shot, or he shoots. So him. that's kind of messed up yeah <laughs> but you know it, yeah it's it's i don't know it, her part is kind of shitty because if you're watching it you're like oh oh wow okay, oh it is the 20th movie maybe they're finally gonna do this and then it's it's not a thing but then it's also like okay if this, if this is actually her fantasy yeah and like she's... you're then turning it into a punchline and then again the logistics of it so she's gone down to the holodeck essentially which yeah. is, it seems to be a specific platform with like four pillars in the corners, which I guess creates the 3D thing around you, virtual reality space around you. So she's lying on the floor yes. pretending to kiss Bond. Like, how, does that, does it work like that when you've got VR on that you literally like got your tongue out and your shirt unbuttoned? <laughs> Because I remember seeing that in the cinema and I remember the audience laughing like, I mean, ha, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's another 3D thing and she's all embarrassed and flustered because she's been having imaginary sex with James. I mean, it's VR porn. There's VR porn, sure, but you're watching, I imagine, something happen, like around you or near you. You're not, like, taking part or are you? I don't know. Oh, there's, um, I think there's a lot of different stuff out there, Nat. Sure. Okay. Well, look, I'm not trying to kink shame, but it's just weird. And it, I felt offended on Money Penny's behalf. Yeah, yeah. Don't give her this weird. Or if you're going to give it to her, don't make it the punchline. Yeah, don't make it the punchline because yeah. like, let her have a romantic moment with Bond for the 20th film. 
because, frankly, her imaginary VR tangle with Bond was way sexier than him having sex with yes. Jinx on Diamonds. Yeah, he has more chemistry with Samantha Bond as Money Penny than either uh, Halle Berry or Rosamund Pike. Yeah, they're kind of sexy like Ty and then kissing on the desk. It's a bit funny. It's a bit, it, you know, it's a little, a little clumsy, like a little like, you know, ooh, what are we doing? But more romantic than like, oh, here we are having sex on diamonds weirdly. Bond living out some sort of weird belly button fetish. <laughs> anyway, so that, that was some of my queries. But Nick, you said you'd been taking notes. Do you have any more? Uh, yes, I've got the bullet comes out at you. Oh, yeah, from the gun barrel sequence. That was cool. We were all impressed by that in 2002. Yeah, true, true. We have Mr. Kill is a Maori actor. Oh, yeah. He's apparently in all the Lord of the Rings. And I found a 2002 article of him talking to some local New Zealand press about how he had the trailer next to Brosnan and went in and would chat with him. And he was a nice guy. And that was nice. Would it be wrong of me to assume that, like, he knew Lee Tamahori from, you know, the New Zealand film industry? Uh, and... I think he – I don't know that they've – I don't know that they've done any movies, but they – I mean, it was probably something like that, you'd assume, mm. that the character doesn't really get to do much. He actually has to, has to carry Bond's suitcase. Yes, he does mm. into the Which room. Which is really weird. But um, he does then... get the – the fun line where they're oh, – this is a really weird scene, right, where Jinx is on the torture device. Oh, yes, which is the Goldfinger, Goldfinger sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And then it cuts back to a James Bond scene, and then it cuts back, and she's just passed out. You don't, you haven't seen what's happened. You've seen that he's said, like, we have lasers, and then she's, like, fainted. <laughs> and Zhao just says she won't talk and just gives the gun to Mr. Kill, who just says, I'll use a laser. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> again, again, you can kind of imagine the spin-off argument. It's like, no, use the gun; it'll be more efficient. It's like, yeah, but we've got the laser, man. We've got the why laser. Did we, why did we build this? We've got what this a, whole thing. It'll be cleaner. It'll kind why, of cauterize as it cuts. Less why, blood. Why, why did we put this whole thing inside the biodome? <laughs> well, I think that was a Moonraker tribute right. to um, Hugo Drax's lair in the Amazon yes. where Bond comes in and all the oh, sexy girls yeah. in their space yeah. outfits. And, he, you know, when he wrestles the snake mm-hmm. in the water? Yeah. But why is the torture device inside? <laughs> <laughs> Unless maybe that was the workshop for um, – I've been trying to think the, of who – uh, Yes, his tech guy, who strikes me as like, he looks like the, go with me on this, he looks like, if you ever remember that show Classic Albums, where a band from the 70s or something would would break down their albums track by track, he looks like the synth player from some, like, the (laughs) Moody Blues or something, who who sits there in that shot and goes like, and that's when we thought, maybe we did it, maybe we do it double time, and then fades up the thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he definitely has that kind of 70s flop blonde hairdo yes that oh, yeah, because it's 2002 yes exactly well you'd Good. be pleased to know that his his name is mikhail godovoy uh, he's a soviet and russian actor he's best known internationally for playing vladimir popov in the james bond film die another Aww. day and do we see what happens to him does he just die when the plane he flies out the window flies of the plane. The... he gets oh my the comic God. Yes. How is it when they all fly out the way? They build the plane with windows at the nose but in the bottom. Yes. <laughs> it's a very impractical design. 
And so when inevitably there's a lack of pressure and the, the you know people are just being rolled out of the like that was completely avoidable. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I love the implication in in that in that final showdown where he get he gets two parachutes from a compartment and says, ah, enough parachutes for everyone, and he throws one out and he goes, not anymore. I'm like, <laughs> were there only two parachutes on the entire plane? <laughs> it's a big plane. Also, that was like his, he he does like na 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 na. It's just very yeah. <laughs> And I wish uh, to talk about Graves' death, which happens then, where he is sucked into the engine and uh, chewed up like a bird strike. We which can't is a leave weird death to him. Yeah. It's a weird death. Well, he's kind of brought undone by, one, his smarminess, but then, two, his, like, weird Palpatine powers, his little... Yeah, kind of I guess. And how is, how is he shocking Bond and not killing him with that? No. Uh, am I missing something? Did I miss something there? Why does he have to uh, have the electric suit? It wasn't needed. Yeah, no, it, it was just to kind of control it himself. But it's like you've got a you've got a joystick, man. You could just use your joystick. It's very final boss in the video game sort of syndrome. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And then there, we we can't leave it without talking about Frost's death, where Jinx stabs oh. her <laughs> with the knife that has been impaled with the art of war and <laughs> kills her with read this, bitch. <laughs> bitch. Yeah, that bitch line. In I a remember, moment that felt oh. weirdly misogynistic. Yeah, I remember at the time feeling like that line did not play well. You know, in 2002, I felt that didn't play well. Mm. And now it's almost like a museum piece. It's so weird. Like, it's not yeah. even, it's not great, but it's not even that it's bad. It's more that it's like, what? 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 It's kind of starts to fall into a bit of a campy kind of Yeah, because, you know, thing. they're having a girl fight. So, And also, why is Miranda Frost just getting around the plane in a bra? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Like, like she, all of a sudden, she's not wearing anything. Yeah, but why is she training when they've gone – because, you know, as I said, they've, they've lost all the guests and have immediately gone from let's demonstrate the Icarus to let's destroy – the demilitarized zone. Like yes, destroy think, the world. Within 12 hours, they've gone from I'm Gustav Graves, international humanitarian. Here's my new project. They actually, I'm going to blow up the world. And so they all get onto this plane and she's all dressed in like action gear. And Bond and Jinx get on dressed in camouflage gear. But because she goes off to train or she goes off to do something or she decides, no, I'm going to, I'm going to kill Jinx. So I better put on my best sexy midriff showing out and so of course that means that it's like well we can't have Halle Berry in this big camo tracksuit the whole time it's Halle Berry like we hired her for a reason and so that way it's like oh we'll we'll get her to take her jacket off and just have on a cute singlet underneath as a way of deflecting Miranda Frost's sword blows it's like oh okay let's just make sure we get both the chicks uh sexy outfit (laughs) get them to strip down to their bras I kind of almost respect it like it's that you know it's like look Hey, do you remember in that movie Swordfish that Halle Berry was paid a million dollars just to get her boobs out? I remember that being a big, yep. a big thing at the time that I used to joke about with people. It's like, oh, my God, it's Halle Berry's baps. They're a million dollars, a million dollars. And it's just in one scene where she's lounging on a sun lounger and reading a paper and Hugh Jackman walks up and then she drops the paper and it's just, here are my boobs. <laughs> it's like that obvious. <laughs> ching, 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 paycheck. And Swordfish, just conversely, is another movie that does not hold up technology-wise. Like, I oh, think that's a movie yeah. all about hackers. It's a movie all about hackers, which, of course, I remember seeing it in the cinema and it was like, wow, cutting edge. And you look back and go, oh, no, no, that does not. There's a lot of hackings of mainframes in that movie. <laughs> I love a hacking of a mainframe. It's the best. 
Uh, where were we? <laughs> I've gone off topic again. I just remembered where he rescues her, throws her in the car, and then pulls her out of the car and runs to the, the hot springs. Oh, yes. Oh, what's oh yeah, I remember Actually, thinking that that's not how well, CPR works. <laughs> although it, it is like his second real acting moment. Like, as he's trying to save her, he's mm. kind yes. of got this panicked, like, no, come on, come on, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. It's like one of the only other moments where he's actually with a real person in a real setting. Because I think weird. I think earlier when when they'd had the awkward exchange with Miranda Frost or something, and he, he said something like, "Oh, you, you're cold," and she said, I, "It helps me feel alive." And then Miranda Frost turns up and says, oh, "I assume Mr. Bond's been telling you about his Big Bang theory," and she's oh. like, yeah, I, "I think I got the thrust of it." And it's like, why all this? Why all this weird girl jealousy energy? Oh. There's the other one. There's the um when Frost is confronting her and says, "That's pretty good tailoring. Hope it doesn't shrink when it gets wet." <laughs> <laughs> Which so makes no sense unless you then follow it up with because we're gonna drown you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we're gonna drown you. Is that did, does that carry? Does do you get yeah. that? Explain it. Explain your quip. <laughs> hey, oi, Blondie. Oh, but yes, no, he has, he, he's, he's like blowing going, no, it keeps you warm. You're still alive. You, you're cold. It keeps you alive. Remember? Uh, he's like shaking it. And then she's like, <gasps> and says, what took you so long? And he's just like, well, he, he tries to do a bit of CPR on her, but they're like chest deep in water. So yes. it's very ineffective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just sort of wakes up on her own. And then they kiss and he's like all of a sudden keen on her again. He's got feelings for her. They met what, 48 hours previously in Havana? Yeah. But then also when Miranda dies and he sees her body with the Sun Tzu Art of War, which I think Gustav Graves had mentioned when he tells his father who he is. And isn't that awkward? I thought his father was quite good. Oh, his father's great. And I think plays it what is really a ridiculous situation, gives it a fair bit of... He's in a different film to the rest of that that (laughs) cast. And he's like, look, Father, we will conquer. And he's like, what are you doing, you idiot? It's kind of jarring that they have that that moment where it's like he, he's coming in. He He's literally he's almost literally from a different movie. Like he's or, from the start of the movie back when it was a good movie. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of like, how did we get here? He's he's like a person who's who had to duck out of the cinema and has <laughs> popped back in and is just going, I'm sorry, wh- what is this? What are we doing? <laughs> This Why is, are you wearing that? This is ridiculous. Why are you now a white guy? <laughs> I'm just, it's just starting to dawn on me. Why did he actually show everyone Icarus? Yeah. Why did he just, like, I get that That's it was out. I get that, like, the tech world had written about it or that, you know, like it was this rumored thing. Why did he not just use it to clear the landmines? Ego. To be totally Why did he have fair. To- to be totally fair, I I'd think he know. probably had to justify why he had a giant piece of space laser in the in the sky. Like someone would have noticed. Why actually <laughs> is the, is build the ice palace to do the PR <laughs> stunt part of it? You could have yeah. just jumped to the blowing up the demilitarized. Absolutely, yes, because the yeah. movie needed an ice palace. And, but true. I mean, That's it's true. it's very Bond villain to do all of that extra stuff that is not needed. And that's kind of what Austin Powers parodies so well. But but that's Um, kind of the trap that this movie falls into, which is that it is 
in theory, in parody, you know, in like an Austin Powersy sort of way, it's like, aha, he harnesses the power of the sun, but he lives in an ice palace and he's created <laughs> this giant ice palace. But like Bond villains do that sort of thing, but not like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the best. Although I will say for Toby Stevens, he was the youngest or still is the youngest ever actor to play a Bond villain. He was 33 at the time. And I think his whole motivation was to kind of be like the villain who is better than Bond. He's like younger and sexier, which has kind of been a lot of Bond villains, or at least the the mirror opposite. (laughs) It was kind of Alec Trevelyan. It was kind of Christopher Lee's Scaramanga. It's not completely original, the concept of the (laughs) other side of Bond, you know, the light and the dark. Let's get back to this film because we need to place it in our lists, Stu. Oh, boy. We need to work out where Sucker is going. And I need to bring up a list that is vaguely up to date because... And after you do that, I can give you my list. Oh. I have my list up until this point. Yes. Look, look I'm, I'm actually str- I'm struggling with this a little bit because the list system that I, the, like the software that I use, automatically, when you add a film to this list, it automatically adds it at the bottom of the list. And so then you have to start. You have to start sort of making decisions about. It's not okay, a long journey from there, Stu. It's not a long, it's not a long walk. <laughs> but my last placed film currently is Thunderball. Wow! And could this? Oh my look, God! Drum roll! Drum roll! Drum roll! Could this be, be a the big one? Day. This could be a big day because Thunderball, as we know, is we know. Uh, you know a, a long, tedious film. I believe, and let me just check my notes here. Uh, it is actually four straight weeks long. It's it's a very long film. And do you know that uh, this I'm not Diana sure. The day is actually three minutes longer. No, 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 no. That that's not true at all, Natalie. I, I it can't possibly be true because it's about 133 minutes long, right? <laughs> and uh, Thunderball <laughs> is actually four weeks long. It's a four-week-long movie. It's a very weird experimental art project in the middle of the Sean Connery era. I'm not sure uh, why it's held in such high regard. Uh, Thunderball uh, was played for Pierce Brosnan while he was being tortured, and they still didn't have enough time to show it to him. (laughs) So that, that's that that was the torture. That that was the torture. Like, you know, yeah. they, they didn't actually like do any physical torture, they just no. left Thunderball running. No. But it, but it's like, oh, splashed God, a bit of water on his face. Not for scuba yeah. scenes, please. <laughs> there was a fun Thunderball tribute in this film when Bond goes under the ice, like he has to swim in the ice to get somewhere at some point. Swim in the water, and I should say. Yeah. And he's got the little breathing device. I oh. I, I I literally did this. I went, oh, he's got the little mouth breathe. Like I was so, like I'd just seen an adorable kitten. I was like, oh, oh look at you and your little mouth. Oh. <laughs> look, you know what? I, I as as tedious and crazy and, and stupid as I think Thunderball oh. is, I think this is the worst Bond film. I wow. think this is a, this is the bottom of my list. I think this is it. This, because yeah. this movie is is just a mess. It is an Utter, utter mess. It starts out with such promise and then completely falls to jagged pieces. I, I can't forgive it for that. It, it's w- worse than The Man with the Golden Gun, worse than A View to a Kill. You know, I have Thunderball in my 20th spot and, like, you know, that's obviously my thing. That This is my personal list and that's where I've placed it. But Die Another Day is just, it's barely a film. It's, it barely hangs together. It's... Just crap. It's just utter crap, and it has to go at the bottom. Wow. 
It's happened. 20 it's films happened. in. I'm honestly a little bit shocked and flustered and I, I just need a bit of a sit down to get over that. That is that is that is a big thing. That's that's a big call. I don't hmm. This is a hard one for me because I really do love the song. I really do love the opening credits. I love the fencing scene. I love I love uh, Toby Stevens's crazy performance. I love a bit of Halle Berry at the gene sequencing center. It's not great. This is the thing. It's not great. But could I put it at the very bottom? Could I say that it's better than A View to a Kill? Could I say it's better than Octopussy? Because I feel like I would watch this film more than those films. So that's the that's the weird. And I, I am partial to Pierce. <laughs> Just think the diamonds on the floor, Nat. Reclining on a bunch of diamonds. Well, the interesting thing for me is, am I going to hate Spectre enough to put that at the bottom of my, my list? Well, I was about to say, yeah, your, your white whale is coming. <laughs> my, my, yeah, it's like, could I actually, like, Spectre might be better written and better produced and the script might make more sense, we'll see, but also what they do with Blofeld angered me so much. You know, will that still <laughs> but outweigh? You can't, you can't be thinking forward. Like, like that, that's I coming. Know. But, but, you know, the yeah, list as it stands, what, what, where does it sit? Feel so much peer pressure right now from you guys. I just, I feel it. I feel, I feel it. Um, you always get so defensive. I do because I love Pierce, and I feel like it was mean for everyone to kind of judge his whole bond ship on this one frail bark. And this film trashed his reputation as Bond. Like this is this film is the reason why everyone thinks that Pierce Brosnan is a, is a shitty oh, Bond. I, oh, so that's how you're trying to convince me by going, no, 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 it deserves to be at the bottom because of what it did to totally. Pierce, Natalie. What it did to him. <laughs> Think of what it did to him. It cut off his pinky and then it cut off his ring finger and each finger until he was destroyed. I just think Pierce Brosnan is still a better Bond than Roger Moore is in A View to a Kill. Would you like to hear my list? Yeah, you do your list, Nick. So this is from my Bond watch, and this is my list of all the films to hear. In final place, we have A View to a Kill, then Die Another Day, Uh then Diamonds Are Forever, then Octopussy, Man with the Golden Gun, Mm -hmm. Never Say Never Again, Live and Let Die, Ah. Thunderball, ah. Moonraker, <laughs> for your eyes only. <laughs> okay. Tomorrow never dies. Yep. License to Kill, Doctor No. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into the top. We've got You Only Live Twice. Okay. The world is not enough. Ah. Now, now we're mo- now we're moving into the the really good ones. We've got The Spy Who Loved Me, Living mm-hmm. Daylights, Golden Eye, Goldfinger, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And from Russia with love. Ah. Oh. Okay, I feel like your list is kind of a combination of Stu and Maya's list. Hmm. There's a lot of similarities <laughs> to both in there and the, in, in where you've put stuff. I think generally you, I'm... Interestingly, you had The Living Daylights a lot higher than I did, but you had License to Kill a lot lower than I did, I think. Yeah, I've got License to Kill's like just above the middle of the pack, where The Living Daylights is number four. Five at the moment, I think. Yeah. Making this list while after doing my binge, I, the list looking at it, I've got a lot less patience for the uh, the Roger Moores and the more out there Moonrakery <laughs> types. Never Say Never Again was a revelation. Oh, yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I kind of wish I'd put it higher, but... Um, well, it's yeah. got uh, Stu's crush, Barbara Carrera. So. <laughs> 
She's she's amazing that film. I don't know why why this is a controversial opinion. No, I just it's it's very endearing. I found Stu's like constant just kind of like she's amazing. It was very endearing, Stu. It was like all of a sudden this like crush on Barbara Carrera popped up. You know, because you you had said about Jill St. John, you know, that you'd always had this crush on her, but I felt I'll, like the. I'll freely, I'll freely admit, I have a, a crush since boyhood on Jill St. John. Yeah, but I feel like she, the. Barbara... She's in she's in uh, the Batman '66 series, by the way. <laughs> oh, is she? Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's one of the Riddler's uh, henchwomen. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like the Barbara Carrera one though was like you know sprang forth out of this film, kind of like my Timothy Dalton. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like, <laughs> this is a revelation. All of a sudden. I've just seen the most amazing woman ever. It's Barbara Carrera <laughs> in a series of incredibly weird vinyl outfits and G-strings. She's having such a good time. Yeah, she was. She was. Okay, so oh, this is really tough. Maybe I should be a bit controversial and put it even above Octopussy. Yeah, screw oh, it. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to put it under Never Say Never Again. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm going to put this film as my third last. Wow. So what is wow. that? 18th position. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it above Octopussy and A View to a Kill. So there. I'm sticking up for Pierce. You got it third last. Nick has it second last and I have it last. Yeah, well, I'm just trying to keep a bit of difference, you know, a bit of variety. (laughs) No, totally, yeah. And also because otherwise I'd be putting it in the same position as you or the same position as Nick. So, you know, I'm just going to be petty and put it above both of you. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's how I roll. I'm acting out of emotion. Okay, so there we have it. 20 Bond films down and now four to go. Just four. And what a four. And what it's a pretty, four. It's a pretty good run. Can you believe we're at the end of the Brosnans? We're about to hit the Craig era. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, like uh, what a weird era of Bond where, you know, you start off with, with Goldeneye and end with Die Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> and have two largely mediocre films in the middle. Do you think it was a case of Brosnan's film sort of being decreasing returns? Because I, I think so. I think they they really swung for the fences with this one, and the, it it just fell apart. Like I, I this this was the worst possible way for the series to celebrate its its 40th anniversary and its 20th film with this absolute turd of a film. Like <laughs> Jesus, like. How, how embarrassing for everyone involved that well, this just, is the I, way they mark that. To, to compare it to, and we'll, we'll do, I'm sure we'll do a little bit of comparison when we get to Skyfall, but Skyfall is the, 10 years later for the, the 50th anniversary, and what a complete 180. Like, like what mm. it, do, it does very similar things to this movie, but just nails every single thing. Not, not to telegraph my opinion of that movie, but... <laughs> like it just it just really does nail every single thing that this movie just completely falls on its ass over. I think it's interesting that Nick, you put the world is not enough higher on your list because the way Stu and I have kind of been reviewing these Brosnan ones is, you know, they've been going downhill since Goldeneye. My memory is of liking the world is not enough more than Tomorrow Never Dies, but on the rewatch, I really had a lot more fun watching Tomorrow Never Dies then the world is not enough. Yeah, my Brosnan take is I love Goldeneye. Goldeneye's great. I really don't like Tomorrow Never Dies. I just can't get with Elliot Carver. I, <laughs> I just find it so <laughs> stupid and I just can't get with it. But the the one saving part of that movie for me is the Michelle Yeoh part. I think that there's like a brilliant film in the middle of that very stupid film. Um, and then the world is not enough. I have a weird relationship with because I just like as a 12 year old, I think played the video game so many times and 
so I have no objectivity on it. It's just a bunch of cut scenes to me. Um, but but I still find that movie kind of, I don't know, I think he just gets to do a little bit more. He's a bit more engaged with it, I feel. I like the kind of M being brought into it and the, the whole Electra reveal. Mm. I kind of find that slightly more interesting. Like, yes, the villain's a bit stupid and it, it clicks a bit more for me. No, that's fair. Then Tomorrow Never Dies. And then Dying of the Day just <laughs> kind of flops. I mean, at least you could say that the Pierce Brosnan era doesn't end with a whimper, but ends with a bang. <laughs> a bang on diamonds, <laughs> as it were. But it goes out in explosive fashion. <laughs> and what a way to set up just how much of a rebound they have. That's yeah. oh, if, wow. we, if you want to end on a higher note, you've only got to wait seven days till to watch an absolute classic (laughs) an almost perfect movie so yeah you've got that to look forward to it is a great film coming up casino royale although i'd be interested to see how i i mean i have watched it relatively recently like in the last couple of years but i'll be interested to see it with fresh eyes as part of this rewatch just to see Mm. how yeah just to feel it in the in the canon yeah i mean it felt like a gap between Brosnan leaving and Daniel Craig being cast, but it was only four years and we've now waited Mm. five years for No Time to Die. So it wasn't that long, I guess, in the scheme of things and they do a really big job on revamping it. So, And it's the same writers who write Die Another Day who then, as you say, they had an off year, they come back. (laughs) (laughs) So just goes to show. All right, well, we're at the end of this podcast it's been a long one but it's been fun thank you so much nick for joining us my pleasure can people find you on the twitters or do you have a, a pluggable they can twitter at nick underscore underscore w don't forget that second underscore uh stew is of course at disco stew and i am at girl clumsy please go to nataliebohensky.com to read the accompanying recaps for these films as i put them up there's also a patreon link there that you can donate if you would like to support the podcast and the recaps and facebook twitter you know just follow us around the place that would be great tell your friends if you want to leave a review for this podcast i never tell people to leave reviews but you can rate review and subscribe I hate myself. Um, But, yes, so thank you so much to those of you who listen. Thank you to Nick for joining us. And until next time, I'm Natalie. And I'm Stu. And we're shaken. Not stirred. Another day, another day. Extended club mix. Extended club mix, please. (laughs) Yeah.